If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Welcome to the Colossians 3.1 podcast. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or are new to the faith, we invite you to join our discussion as we dive into theology, objections to the faith, common questions, and hot topics in an effort to better know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey guys, this is Barrett. Welcome to the Colossians 3.1 podcast. Um, unfortunately, we don't have Jared today, but we do, unfortunately, also have Jack, uh, Zach. Hey guys. And Sam. Hey! <laughs> Way more punchy this time. Thank you. <laughs> um... Last time we uh, we talked a little bit about um, the Bible and and, and how um, U.S. adults and and evangelicals um, whether they think it's true or not, basically. Um, but today we are going to kind of continue that conversation, and the first statement that. Uh, that this survey that we're going through, this the State of Theology survey found on uh, stateoftheology.com, um, you guys can, is what we're going through. Um, it, it takes a survey of, of evangelicals and adults, but anyway, the first statement that we're going to dig into is, the Bible is 100% accurate in all it teaches. Yeah, so... so we've been going through the key findings, but if you actually go to the website... You can actually access like all the statements, There's like thirty some odd uh, statements, and so this one wasn't on the key findings, but it's about the Bible, and so you know, it's kind of uh, stay on on a theme here. So, with that question, the Bible is one hundred percent accurate in all it teaches. Out of the all U.S. adults, forty four percent disagree that the Bible is. 100% accurate. So I, I that was definitely worthy of discussing. Um if and I kind of you can kind of go in and manipulate the data in terms of filtering down and seeing what just evangelicals believe and evangelicals um I think this is one where most evangelicals got it right and saying that they uh, uh agree that the Bible is accurate in all it teaches. However, so we were talking last week about taking the Bible literally versus figuratively and properly interpreting it. So, for example, we talked about Genesis 1. And if you believe that Genesis 1 is advocating a six-day creation and some people... They they add up the different years people were have yeah. are recorded as living in the Bible and and come up to the earth is young earth yeah, yeah six thousand yeah, years 10. old yeah yeah well, you lost me at what young earth young earth advocates young earth believers that the earth earth is fairly young so if you just go back go backwards in your Bible all the way to to Genesis one you get somewhere potentially six to ten thousand years depending on on how you do it. That would be a young earther. Okay. Yeah. So. So. You have old earth, which is opposite. That is. Could be. 
tens of thousands, could be millions, could be billions, but God still created it. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you if you take that um, that view, that young Earth six day creationist view, and you think that's what the Bible says, and then you listen to scientists and um, who have their data that okay, geological record and and all these things then it would seem to be the Bible and science are in, are in conflict. Um, and, and that actually brings up the other statement that kind of goes along with this. Modern science disproves the Bible. That was another one of the questions in the survey. And of all U.S. adults, 40% agree that science disproves the Bible. And among evangelicals, 30% agree. I, mm. I actually appreciate the 40% because, uh, you know, you want to lose hope in humanity today. But if only 40% think that, then maybe there's a touch more common sense mm-hmm. left. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. So so if you think that, okay, the Bible says it this way, science says it this way, there's this conflict. So so what do you do with that? Do you say, okay, the science is correct, the Bible is wrong? Or do you entertain the notion that my understanding of the Bible might be misguided? Or do you say the Bible's right and the scientists are making things up? So, and I forget the the passage off the top of my head, but there's parts of the Bible where it talks about the four corners of the earth. Yeah. And there are some who take that to mean that the Bible advocates for a flat earth. To take it literally. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't the earth flat? We just, we, we established last time we didn't land on the moon. That's not fake, so. <laughs> it probably is flat. <laughs> we just lost three listeners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joking. Uh, only, only three? Joking. Uh, <laughs> that was our whole audience. <laughs> no, but, I mean, given the fact that the ocean is not carbonated... Uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> wow. Dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so if you take the Bible mentioning the four corners of the earth as a literal description of instead of a figurative like the entire thing in a world where they have not yet sailed around the globe and so they so if you if you misunderstand the intent of the passage, you misinterpret the passage, and then science comes along and says, "Oh, we actually have satellites that orbit, and we have pictures that are not photoshopped, you know, because we've been to the moon and we've looked back and eh, this little globe that we're on, then it appears that there's these contradictions. But if you're actually reading the Bible correctly and you let figurative language be figurative language, then there's there's no conflict. There's, you know, like sometimes the Bible accommodated the understanding of the people of the time. You know, God's purpose was not to, to talk about, okay, here's... You're actually living on a ball that orbits the sun. That that's beside the point. 
greater spiritual points are are being made. Mm. Um, but because of some evangelicals, we we we've let it become this framing of the Bible and science are in conflict. So now you have a large number of evangelicals who don't trust scientists, mm. which then gives rise to a whole host of other social yeah. problems that we experienced in the last couple of years. I, I think another kind of dimension to this is that, you know, is the Bible literally true? Is it true literally? We, you know, we've kind of been dancing around that topic and then you throw science into it. And I think it's important to, to for everybody to understand that the Bible is not a scientific textbook, you know? And so God created us intelligent, right? And, and we have discovered and I'll use the term evolved, although don't take that out of context, <laughs> but we've grown, we've, um, advanced in technology and our understandings and our scientific capabilities and all this. And there's another, there's nothing scientifically that's ever been discovered that disproves anything in the Bible. But the Bible also is not an exhaustive scientific textbook. Mm. But anything that the Bible affirms scientifically is true is true. And science even corresponds to that. I think sometimes because of how gifted God has created people, I mean, we we're we're a gifted um, we're gifted beings thanks to him, and some people are just quite frankly too smart for their own good. But you can look at the things you mentioned, and you can look at quantum physics and all of this stuff that I I can't even spell, let alone pronounce and and understand <laughs> a lot of it. But the Bible doesn't talk about it, and I think there's a natural tendency for the intimidation of science, you know, when you're not a scientist, to just go. Oh well, only science can explain that, and the Bible doesn't talk about that, so that must mean that the Bible isn't true or it isn't mm. uh, right in what it affirms, and I have to rely on science when they're not really at odds with the. I mean, other than full-blown evolu Darwinism, evolutionism, and the Bible, you know, and Big Bang, yada yada. Once you get past that, there's not a lot of, you know. Honestly, there's not a lot of back and forth. I mean, some scientists would argue, I guess, the resurrection, which they they, yeah. they dig in when they have nothing. But yeah, well, I mean, even even Big Bang cosmology. Yeah. Uh, personally, I have no, I have no. In fact, I've I've heard some very good arguments for creation based on Big Bang cosmology. Um, William Lane Craig. Mm -hmm. is a uh, philosopher, Christian apologist. Um, and, you know, when you, when you dive into the, the science, I mean, it's not something we can observe and then test. We're, right. you know, a lot of math and stuff. But, There's but, leaps of faith everywhere. Well, yeah. But basically Big Bang cosmology is that there was nothing and then it exploded. <laughs> And which causes you naturally question, how did that happen? And in fact, some scientists were so uncomfortable with that question that they had to posit, oh, the, the universe, either there's a multiverse, 
of just a bunch of different universes popping into existence. Or there's this eternal uh, slinky almost of universe expanding and then it contracts and it expands again and it contracts. But they, they have to try to like, okay, we're just not comfortable with the idea that nothing suddenly explodes for no reason. Well, the reason being God said universe exists. So, that, so they have to imagine these incredible leaps of faith into this multiverse or into um, just this eternal uh, uh, universe creating machine, which only puts the question one step further back. How did that begin to exist? Mm-hmm. Why is there something instead of nothing? Yeah. You can't have an infinite regress. Yeah. So God is the one who kicked it off. And uh, and then you get into, like, for example, the fine-tuning argument, which is that our world is perfectly positioned for life. And when you look at the, the science, the, the, the theories um, about Big Bang cosmology, if the... If the matter in the universe at the big big bang was, you know, just a little bit more right. or a little bit less, the earth wouldn't have formed. Yeah. If we're so much closer to the sun or so much further away, there's no the Goldilocks zone is what they call it. Gravitational pulls perfectly. Yeah. yeah. And then you you start to add all that up into the um, the the narrow bands and the chances, and I've heard people use the illustration of imagine you cover the state of Texas a foot deep with silver dollars, mm-hmm. and you mark one, and through it at random, and then you go in at random and pick up one silver dollar. That's the chances of life forming on earth by accident well it's the same it's the hmm. same thing with um, evolution too because to evolve you think about one of the best examples is the human eye and, and you know since we're a gcc podcast my anchored faith we talk about this in the anchored faith course uh, um the cosmological argument is basically what we're kind of talking about here on on how the universe came to be but the human eye cannot function unless all of its parts function together at the exact same time. So how could a human eye have evolved? It, it literally isn't possible. Yeah, right? so, so the, it's not possible. the theory of evolution that there's these small incremental yeah. changes over time. Or, or big, depending on if you're micro or macro. Right, but, but yeah, for, for an organ like yeah. the eye, um, how do you get that piece by piece by piece? Right. It's either all there or... But the same that same principle can be applied to what you were just describing on, you know, there's over a hundred finely tuned factors that even let life exist on Earth. Mm-hmm. Those had to have happened at the exact same time. If if one of them doesn't, the Earth doesn't exist. And so how do you... I mean, that's, that's a big... It reminds me of a... a a book by uh, Frank Turek, it's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and he talks about how much more faith it takes to put, to have in that sort of thing versus 
you know, the something came from nothing or God and, you know, yeah. go maybe, ahead. Or... Maybe this is my lack of just knowledge in science, but what, what can you touch on adaptation versus evolution? Yeah. So, so I, I actually did science fair. I hated science fairs as a kid. Um, I was like, I just couldn't see the point in it, but I had to do them. So I did this one based on this uh, particular moth in England where you have um, the trees in England used to be mostly white. Okay. The white bark. Um, and so these moths, the dark colored moths stood out on the light colored trees and became easier prey for birds. Industrial revolution happened. Smog. Smoke and, and stuff. And then the bark on those trees get covered with soot and become darker. Now suddenly the light colored moths are more of a target than the dark colored moths. So there we see micro evolution happening. The uh, light colored moths you know, get eaten up and the dark colored moths are more adapted to the new environment. And then they're able to continue propagating and spreading their DNA. And, and so you have a change like that. Macro evolution is something, I mean, okay, COVID-19, it, a virus evolves quite often. So, so that's not really something that, that we argue against. But it's the macro evolution. Yeah, species to species. Right. Yeah. Meaning, yeah, you have an example. Finch, right? Take the finch to human. Yeah. I mean, it, it, how do you get those big, you know, a, a bacteria to a swimming thing in the ocean to a dolphin to a merman type creature to a monkey to a... To a human. I like how you threw in merman. That was good. Well, I mean, really I, 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 I find it insulting that they don't add them. The analysts don't add the mer, really mer people in. There. I mean, how does that not and, work? And that's <laughs> in part because we don't find these half stages in the geological record. Like, we find complete species, and some have similarities. Yeah, there's no transitional species. I mean, obviously, canines are related. Okay, we, you know, we can see that within the species of canines, but to find these half steps from, uh, from ape to man, and then you, you have like Australopithecus and, and these different ones, but, but I mean, the spectrum from ape to man is, is pretty big. And if it took this long period of time, you would expect to find more half-stage fossils than we actually do. Um, so there, so that calls in the question, but, but, but I will say that if I get to heaven and God says, no, I did a long period of time through stages of guided macro evolution, I'm going to say, okay, yes, sir, that it's not going to change my faith. Well, you're not going to care if in heaven. Right. <laughs> now, now, okay, so Genesis 1, describing the, the creation of the animals, it said that God told the, the land to produce animals. But it's with human beings we see in Genesis 2 that human beings were specially made. 
You know, God took the dirt and formed a man. So I am comfortable. I don't, it doesn't affect my theology if God did macro evolution over a long period. He took his time with it and, and, and slowly, that doesn't change my theology. Now, some, it does affect their theology because they believe that there was no death before sin. Um, but I don't have a problem with that because human beings had access to the tree of life. Why would we, why would you even need a tree of life if there wasn't death? You know, the law of thermodynamics, mm. you know, uh, if, if Adam tripped in the garden and scraped his knee, are the, the skin cells that he scraped off on the tree, are they going to live forever? I, yeah. I'm okay with there being death as part of the world, the law of thermodynamics that God built into the world. But when Adam and Eve sinned, now you're kicked out of the garden. Now you don't have access to the tree of life. And now death for humans becomes a concern. So that, for me, doesn't affect my theology. But for some, it does. And so Ken Ham, uh, the guy did the, the Ark Encounter and yeah, the yeah. Creation Museum, um, to my knowledge... Big proponent of young earth creationism and stuff. And okay, got his theories. But then when he goes and he debates, you know, like a very public debates that he likes mm -hmm. to do. And, and we set up this framing that, okay, scripture and science are opposed to each other. I think it sets people up for these crisis of faith. When, when they come to these issues and, and haven't studied them and just have heard the popular, you know, uh, the, the popular understandings of, of science and, and creation. Well, we can do damage too and we want to argue stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, not that it doesn't matter, but, you know, there's things God's given us that we can apprehend, but to comprehend them, I mean, both of you have heard me say that a thousand times, maybe the listeners haven't, but... We can apprehend a lot, but to comprehend certain things about an infinite, eternal God and what he's revealed to us is, you know, we don't always have, he doesn't give us the whole picture. He gives us what we need to know. So sometimes we can do a lot of harm, I think, when we want to take on debates that in the end, it, you know, it's yeah. really kind of boils down to preference in a way. And nice. I, I, I hate even saying that because it's dangerous, but. So I have a question to go back a little bit when we were talking about the universe and we were talking about Big Bang and you were saying some scientists were uncomfortable with the Big Bang because people were saying, well, where, who started that? Mm -hmm. And then they pushed it back to the slinky theory or whatever you call it. Um, and, th and that's not the official term. Right, right. I made that up. I just... it, it's, yeah, you can look that up, slinky theory. But uh, <laughs> Twinkie or Slinky okay. theory, yeah. So then the next question is, where did God come from? That's my <laughs> that's my question. It's just yeah. like, in, in my mind, it's the next. No, you're you're right. You're right that um. Does God have a beginning? 
in time as we as we understand it. And uh, my inclination without the Bible explicitly saying, well, okay, so the Bible says he, he uh, Jesus was and is and is to come. Um, that uh, uh, God does not change like shifting shadows and f- go from not existing to existing would be a change. Everlasting. Yeah. So the Bible paints a picture of God as eternally existing. And so he never began to exist um, and and not beginning to exist. He doesn't need a something to cause him to exist. It's just it's not a contingent being. Yeah. And he's above time. He's outside of time. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah, but no, you're absolutely right. That is the, the natural question. Um, no matter how you cut and slice that question, though. If, first off, Sam's right. God always was, and the Bible does teach that. He's eternal. Um, you know, he's infinite. He's He's always existed. He didn't have a beginning. He won't have an end. Um, but if, if that's the route you wanted to go down, where did God come from? And the Bible um, teaches that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But if he had a beginning, then some, then he can't possibly be those things because then something had to cause him to exist, which means it was more powerful or more all-knowing or more wise than, mm. than God teaches. So you get into what they call the infinite regress. Something had to always be because uh, something can't come from nothing, which is kind of what we're talking about here. So, you know, something had to always be, and that something was God. There's, there's no other, I mean, that's just the, the A to B yeah. of it. Love it. I love it. Um, now, one more thing I want want to say before, as we're we're getting close to our time on this one, but the Bible's a hundred percent accurate in all it teaches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dallas Willard, in his uh, book The Divine Conspiracy, makes a great point that Jesus was the smartest man to ever exist. Now, a lot of times we don't think about him like that. We don't mm-hmm. think in terms of he is had the most perfect understanding of human psychology of family dynamics of sociology mm-hmm. you know because we're thinking we're talking more in terms of the bible is accurate in science issues but in in terms of how what is best for human where what is the path for health and life um and society mm-hmm. Jesus was spot on accurate. Um, so when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he, he's not just throwing that out there as, hey, here's a nice suggestion. Why don't you consider it and, and see if it makes sense to you? Um, he's saying, this, this is the best way for you to live. Now, reflection human reason bears that out if we're constantly doing this tit for tat escalation you hurt me i hurt you back more you know that's the path of of destruction somebody's got to forgive and and stop the crazy cycle to say 
no, I'm not going to retaliate in kind. I'm going to bear what you've done to me and forgive it and let it be, let put it to an end. Well, and I think this goes to a point you made earlier and then not to jump ahead in this, but I know we're going to get to, there was a polling on Jesus's divinity, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe it was last week we talked about, uh, or you made the point about, you can believe the Jonah and the fish story because of Jesus's resurrection. The same can be applied to this statement. What was the statement? That, can somebody read it to me? The Bible is 100% accurate yeah. in all it teaches. It teaches. Well, Jesus affirms that the Bible is the word of God. And Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus was claimed to be God was also miraculously confirmed by his death, resurrection, sinless life, so on and so forth. Second um, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says that all scriptures God breathed. Sam and I were talking before this about Greek, and uh, that word is, uh, I believe, uh, theonostos, which is God breathed out, not God breathed in. So it comes from the very. It, it's from God, uh, and that it's. All scripture is beneficial for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for the equipping of the saints to come to maturity and faith. So, if Jesus is God, which I guess really probably is the issue with this thing here, because that's what we're talking about, a moral teacher, and he's perfect in everything that he's... I like that, Dallas, I need you to send me that quote, or that uh, thing, that's a good... Uh, I really like that. Um, but, it, but it really goes back to, is Jesus king? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what you keep saying, but that's really where my mind keeps going into this because that's, when you boil it all down, that is the issue here. Is Jesus king of my, not only savior, but is he king of my life? Because if he's king and Jesus is God, which we'll talk about in future episodes, then what Jesus teaches is truth and it's how we should live our lives in submission to our Lord or King and Savior. And I just, I find that, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the heart of the issue here because um, otherwise, you know, I don't know what we're, we're just really talking about nothing, I mm-hmm. think. What, do, what are your thoughts, Barrett? Well, I think at that point, it's a good time to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to encourage you guys, if, if any of the listeners have any questions, email uh, sam at greencastlecc.org. Sam at greencastlecc.org. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week on the Colossians 3-1 podcast.